Welcome to Captain's Corner, a podcast about community, mission, and culture. This podcast is a ministry of the Salvation Army of Tampa, where we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has called them to be. Please check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at SalArmyTampa. And of course, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We hope you guys enjoy the episode. Welcome to Captain's Corner, Captain Andy Miller coming to you from Tampa, Florida. And I am excited today to have on the line Dr. Robert Tuttle, who's a retired professor from Asbury Theological Seminary, particularly in the Florida campus. And he has just written a new book. Well, it's relatively new. I imagine it's a few months old now. Um, it's a biography of the life and ministry of E. Stanley Jones called In Our Time. Dr. Tuttle, welcome to Captain's Corner. Thank you, Captain Andy. We are. I was so glad to see a full-length biography from a historical theologian on one of my heroes. Now, now I'm going to give a little uh, intro into my experience with E. Stanley Jones, but really, I want to hear from you in this time to learn more about your experiences with him. I, I grew up knowing his name, and n- when I went to Asbury University, there's quotes, you know, in—, in um, all over, like right in front of the chapel, all people bring him up quite a bit. But I met trying to read some of his devotionals in college and almost not really being able to grasp it. But then as I grew, particularly as we, my wife and I entered ministry and worked through some challenging experiences, I began to see E. Stanley Jones speaking into my life in a whole new way. Uh, I've, I've read, I, I, there's a period, I've actually off of it now, for 10 years, I read, read E. Stanley Jones every day. And he probably okay. is a person I've quoted more than anybody else in my preaching. Maybe John Wesley is right up there too. And Jesus, but, but beyond yeah. that. <laughs> so uh, what, can you tell us a, a little bit of what has led you, and anybody who's heard me preach knows that. I mean, they know I'm an E. Stanley Jones guy. Um, could you tell me what led you to uh, study E. Stanley Jones and some of, yeah. Well, I, I like you, uh, Captain Andy, I've, uh, I've been reading Stanley Jones uh, all of my Christian life. Hmm. I met him back in 1969 at an ashram okay. and uh, was so impressed. My father had had him preach in his churches at Myers Park in Charlotte, North Carolina, okay. some years ago. And he led my mother to Jesus at an ashram. So wow. I was I was beholden to him even before I met him face to face. Wow. So I met him at an ashram. Okay, and, let me stop uh, you right there because the word ashram is really important to East Stanley Jones's ministry. Could you explain what that is? Yes. Uh, back in uh, 19, uh, 1930, Stanley Jones uh, had a retreat center at Satal in northern India, up in the foothills of the Himalayas right. mountains, uh, where he would gather uh, people from all over India for, uh, first of all, it was like several months, because okay. he, had, he had attended uh, ashrams uh, under Tagore and also under Gandhi, okay. and was so impressed <laughs> with what they were doing. Of course, uh, Tagore and Gandhi were the gurus uh, in their ashrams, but for Stanley Jones, he he devised an ashram where Jesus is the guru. Amen. And he called people to his retreat center up at Sartal for uh, sometimes several months uh, 
from all over India, all walks of life, all, all different religions, right. and would spend time teaching them uh, about uh, Jesus. Yes. And uh, their lives were utterly changed. I, I was in a restaurant uh, just a year ago. Right. Uh, my way to uh, uh, Junaluska, North Carolina, stopping off in a little place called Silva. Okay. And I was in a restaurant, and uh, I was trying to find, get online to find directions to, to uh, Junaluska from, from that place in Silva, and I couldn't get online. But I saw a man leaving, and I called him over, a very distinguished-looking man. Right. I called him over and said, can you help me? I need directions to Junaluska. He said, well, of course I can. Huh. Uh, and then I noticed he had an accent. I said, what's your accent? He said, Indian yeah. uh, and British and American. Hmm. Uh and uh, I said, well, I was, ju- I was just in, the- in India. Hmm. Uh, and he said, uh, what were you doing in India? I said, reaching, uh, researching a biography of a well-known missionary evangelist. Mm-hmm. And he said, what was his name? I said, East Andy Jones. He went white as a sheet. This guy's a dentist in Silver, North Carolina. Wow. He went white as a sheet and said, when I was a boy, Stanley Jones at the Santal Ashram, Wow. Uh, led me and my family to Jesus. Wow. Uh, Ashrams are where now, after 1740, Stanley Jones made those ashrams universal. It was a little different format. It was not so long. It was usually, oh, seven to ten days. Sometimes they're, they're even briefer. Mm-hmm. But uh, you start the ashram. Uh, I don't want to, You might ask me for a nickel here and get a buck and a quarter. <laughs> really, That's fine. Really, really, I'm really committed to the ashram. But we have a first session of the ashram uh, is on an evening, usually a Monday evening, uh, and Stanley Jones is, is uh, hosting us. And the first question is, what, what brings you here? Hmm. What spiritual need do you have? And right. so it goes around. Usually these ashrams have around 40 to 50 people, right. sometimes more, sometimes less. And they all, almost all, say what, why they're there. And Stanley Jones takes careful notes. Hmm. And the next morning, he, after reading, uh, uh, hearing their, their needs and what their expectations were, he fashions his, his week to teaching and preaching to answer those questions and to meet those needs. Yes. And so finally, by Friday, or whenever the ashram closes, you have the, the uh, time of the overflowing heart. And yeah. by the way, during the, day of the, during the weekdays, you get up, uh, you have breakfast together, you have a Bible study, and then you have times and groups, and then in the afternoon you work. Yeah. Uh, at terms at, at Satal in India, he had all the people helping do the grounds. Uh, yes. But here they work washing dishes and doing those kinds of things. But uh, then on the Saturday evening, the last evening, uh, you have uh, the overflowing heart, where people report as to how God has met the need they expressed on the first day yeah. as a result of Stanley's teaching and preaching and others. There had Bible study leaders, too. I've done that in Ashram's on occasion. Yeah. But it, it completely changed their lives. Uh, and Tom Alvin uh, yeah. is a head of the upper room in Nashville, Tennessee. Right. Uh, is now heading up uh, International Ashram. And this book, by the way, has been chosen as the book of the year by the International Ashram Movement. Interesting. So, so I, I probably you and I jumped right into this pretty quickly here, and I imagine I have you know some some of my folks who might be listening to this podcast. 
this could be the first time they've heard E. Stanley Jones' name. So let's just imagine you're in an elevator and somebody says, well, what are you working on? And you say, I do it. I'm writing a biography. I've just written a biography on E. Stanley Jones. What is your elevator speech to describe E. Stanley Jones? Well, I, I sometimes say that in 1938, uh, Time Magazine had a front-page picture of Brother Stanley saying he was arguably the greatest missionary evangelist in the world. Mm. And uh, then I tell him I had the privilege of meeting him personally, and he changed my life. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, he was born uh, outside of uh, Baltimore, Maryland, right. uh, in, uh, in, in 1884. Mm-hmm. And then in, in 1907, uh, after graduating from Asbury College, now University, yes. Uh, he thought he was going to uh, this long elevator, isn't it? Uh, he, <laughs> he, he, the Sears he Tower. He thought he was going to Africa, but uh, felt the call to India and mm-hmm. went to India, where uh, four years later he met his wife, mm-hmm. Mabel, yes. at a church service. She was playing the organ at Lucknow and uh, met her, and they were married in uh, 1911, uh, and that she, she had a ministry... A, a building for, with amongst a teenage, not teenage, but children, mm-hmm. uh, Indian children, and started a school for Indian children, which is still existent, by the way. Wow. And so they worked together. They had an understanding when they got married. Their first child, Eunice, was born in 1914. Mm-hmm. But uh, they had, they both had a vision for the direction God was leading them. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't, they didn't get in each other's way. Stanley went off preaching, uh, doing his uh, missionary thing, uh, and Eunice, I mean, uh, Mabel, uh, had her school, which was still existent today uh, amongst, the, amongst the Indian children. She was an incredible minister. She also had a correspondence. Don, uh, Stanley Jones had a correspondence with Gandhi right. uh, from, from uh, uh, 1918 to, to Gandhi's death, uh, 1948. But, but Mabel also had a 25-year correspondence. Uh, with uh, Gandhi, uh, hmm. and, and uh, that's what kind of uh, Stanley Jones uh, was prolific. Yes, he wrote uh, 28, 29 books. His first book, uh, this is important. Yes, I'm listening. His first book, Christ of the Indian Road. Right. Uh, you realize what happened to the Wesleyan movement and the Salvationists are a part of that uh, between. Uh, 1892 and 1893, perhaps, and 1907, the the Wesleyans split 25 different ways. Yeah. Uh, And you had modernists and fundamentalists. The fundamentalist movement started in Niagara in 1995, Mm -hmm. 1895. Uh, But so you modernists and fundamentalists, and they they did not speak to each other. And the first time both modernists and fundamentalists were reading the same book, was Stanley Jones's book, Christ the Indian Road. We used to teach that the first time modernists and fundamentalists read the same book was when Karl Barth's yeah. uh, Dogmatics were translated by Jeff Bromley. Jeff, Jeff yep. Bromley, by the way, was a, a friend and colleague of mine when I was teaching at Fuller Seminary many oh, years ago. But uh, uh, no, uh, Stanley Jones predates uh, 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 Barth's influence. Hmm. Karl Barth's influence in his dogmatics with the Christ of the Indian Road, which teaches us how to do evangelism 
cross-culturally. Right. Um, when, uh, when in, in 1918, uh, Stanley was preaching at, at, a, at a school, and after he, he actually teaching, after he taught, uh, the, 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 uh, the head of the school came and said, Gandhi's upstairs. Huh. How would you like to meet him? And of course, Stanley said, I'd love to meet him. He went upstairs and, and met Gandhi. He was sitting on his rug with his legs crossed. Right. Uh, meditating, and Stanley Jones, in Stanley Jones fashion, went right up to him and said, uh, uh, Mr. Gandhi, yeah. uh, you are one of the heads of the Hindu movement. You realize Gandhi, Gandhi was born in an upper-class India uh, much earlier, but went to England to do uh, his college and uh, law degree, and then moved to South Africa, where he was turned away from white churches because of his color. Mm-hmm. And that's when he started the nonviolence, non-cooperation right. uh, movement. And uh, he eventually he said, well, my Indian friends need to hear this because uh, uh, they're having some of the same problems there. And so that's when he moved to India. And so when Stanley Jones met Gandhi, he said, uh, uh, Mr. Gandhi, you're the head of one of the heads of, of the Hindu movement here. What would you? What advice would you give to a young Christian missionary who really wants to communicate uh, the Christian gospel in India? Mm-hmm. And and Gandhi looked right at him and said, "You'll you'll need to do four things. Hmm. You need to live like Jesus, hmm. talk like talk talk like Jesus. You, secondly, you need to emphasize love. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, you need to learn about." other religions sympathetically as to their strengths, not just their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And fourthly, never, ever adulterate your own religion. And that became Stanley Jones' uh, 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 badge of cause Hmm. for the rest of his life. He he used those four principles to preach the gospel all across, all across the world eventually, in India at first, but then all across the world. And he and Mabel both, his wife both, and then Eunice later on. Eunice was born, I think I told you, in 18, uh, 1914. Right. Um, just died uh, two or three years ago. Wow. Um, and anyway. Well, that is so interesting. Uh, and I loved it. Since you're mentioning the pieces of Gandhi, and, um, and like I know there's many other things that um, E. Stanley Jones, I hope we can get into. We might not have time, but the way, even just the way that he interacted with uh, American politics to a certain extent and the way that I mean, he was even well, called upon to be a, um, uh, a bishop in the American United Methodist Church and turned it down. Um, but I'd like to go back to the Gandhi piece, if I can't. Like I, there, it was through... I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it was through E. Stanley Jones that Martin Luther King Jr. came in contact with some of the ideas from Gandhi and nonviolence, and it was through the, was it, is he maybe even through the book that um, E. Stanley Jones on, wrote? book on Gandhi, right. And I found this other interesting, I remember uh, David Siemens mentioned one time, who was another prolific author from uh, um and you know, connected to the Asbury world, um, he mentioned one time, and he ha- obviously had some relationship with E. Stanley Jones as well via their connections. He, his father being a missionary in India, um, 
But that in, in E. Stanley Jones' book, Christ in the American Road, is something I have. He has uh, a whole segment on page 60, I'm looking at it right now, where he talks about America as a dream. And this like a, a similar ideas to Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. So, so tell me a little bit about like uh, the way that E. Stanley, what, what E. Stanley Jones did in com- helping even Americans understand Gandhi. Well, after uh, 1948, uh, when Gandhi died mm-hmm. uh, after the war, Stanley was Stanley was during the World War II uh, uh, in the USA. He could not get out; could not get a visa back to India mm-hmm. during the war. And Mabel was still in India, so they were separated during wow. all that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after 17, uh, I mean 1948, uh, Mabel retired from India and moved to the U.S., had a home in Orlando, Florida. And hmm. so Stanley, from that time on, spent six months in the U.S. with his ashrams mm-hmm. and preaching in the country, and six months in India, hmm. preaching all around the country. Now, Stanley was busy. And I'm a little hesitant to tell you this, but in 1930, Stanley and Mabel only had 10 days together. Wow. They were both, they were both so very, very busy. Wow. But Stanley Jones would preach three, four times a day, six, seven days a week. Hmm. But, but uh, when Stanley went to America, uh, he, he had written, uh, he just had written the book on, uh, on Mahatma Gandhi. Mm-hmm. And, and Martin Luther King uh, read that book. And when, uh, and Martin Luther King, both Stanley Jones was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. I can tell you about his influence in Second World, during the Second World War in a moment. Yeah, yeah. But Martin Luther King uh, received the Nobel Peace Prize. And when he was entered, Martin Luther King was introduced to Eunice Jones, Stanley's uh, daughter. He said, I've got to tell you that uh, uh, your father's book on, Mar- on Mahatma Gandhi changed my life, gave wow. me my start with regard to the uh, non cooperation, uh, pacifist. Uh, Nonviolent movement, right? And uh, there's a book now in the MLK Library in Atlanta, open to the page yes. where Luther has written in the margin. This is this is it. Wow. This is where I got my start. Wow. For the non-cooperation, nonviolent movement uh, for the uh, the civil rights movement uh, in the U.S. and around the world. I I found this page, and uh, I, I want to just read this little portion of Christ in the American Road. Uh, out here for us. It's uh, E. Stanley Jones says, What and where is America? America is a dream, unfulfilled, a dream of equality of opportunity, of privilege and property widely distributed, a dream of a place where class is abolished and where a man is a man, a place where race and both color, or sorry, a, a place where race and birth and color are transcended by the fact of a common brotherhood. A place where humanity, as humanity, can bring again a fresh experiment in human brotherhood that will begin for the whole race as a whole. A place where all our gifts and resources are held, not for ourselves alone, but as an instrument of service for the rest of humanity. That is the dream. E. Stanley Jones, beyond just connecting that idea that maybe even was inspirational to Martin Luther King, boy, he could turn a phrase. 
I mean, every every, every page he has like a, a witty way of saying things to just drill right into your heart. I, I imagine that is what attracted Martin Luther King to him as well. Yes, indeed. You know where that what that describes? That describes what you just read. That describes. E. Stanley Jones' vision of a moral universe. Yes, talk to me about that. I feel like this is one of the key theological and philosophical pieces that um, that I've picked up on from him, is that we live in this moral universe and that the nature of it is such that if you go against that moral universe, it will break right. you. Tell, tell, talk right. to me a little bit more about that. He thought that if America followed her principles, right, that uh, she would understand uh, the concept of a moral universe, inviting her people uh, to live according to God's creation, which was created uh, uh, for us to be moral and understanding and all the things you just described. Hmm. And when we do that, uh, we, uh, we not only succeed, but we're uh, happy. Hmm. Uh, there's yeah. a different word than happy. We're blessed. Right, right. I'm totally blessed. And if we don't, if we kick against the goads, uh, we're unhappy. If we if we do things that are not consistent with the moral universe, right. which God created, and which Jesus exemplified, right. uh, Stanley Jones was obsessed with with the kingdom of God. Yes, and he was totally committed to Jesus as Lord. The Word become flesh. Yes, he believed that Jesus uh, became flesh uh, to teach us who God is. We had we had a mixed understanding of God mm. before Jesus came to reveal who God is. Right, and that's why Jesus uh, rewrote a lot of the Old Testament. He said, "You've heard it said, but I right. say unto you, mm-hmm. there's no eye for an eye in Jesus. Mm. Uh, there's only uh, forgiveness and, and love your neighbor, and uh, please put your faith and trust in me, so you can receive, repent, and receive." and believe and receive the forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Stanley Jones was so committed to that. He preached that uh, all over the world, literally all over the world, uh, uh, China, all, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Lots in China, lots in Japan. Uh, I was going to say about the Japanese... Well, let me get to that in a second. I want to I, I, I want to hear that story. I want to set it up if I can. Yeah. Um, the... Um, Back to the moral universe piece. One of my favorite quotes that I've used regularly is um, comes from I think the way to power and poise, where talking about the moral universe. Stanley Jones says, um, "If sin were natural, it would feed us." He said, "But the opposite is true. Sin will bleed you." <laughs> and like so, when you're living outside of the moral universe, it will bleed you the way God has set the world up. This episode of Captain's Corner is brought to you by WPO Development. I have a good friend, Keith Waters, who's the CEO of WPO Development, and he has a phrase he uses all the time that I have found to be very helpful, and it's this. If you don't know where you are going, any path will take you there. Isn't that true? Both in our personal lives and especially in our ministries. It is critical that we all have a clear plan and a path to where we want to go. Keith and his company, WPO, have worked with the Salvation Army and other ministries across the country and can help you develop a strong mission planning study all the way up to managing a capital campaign. 
I'm currently working with Keith and his team here in Tampa and would urge you to contact them if you have any planning or campaign needs at info at WPODevelopment.com or you can just Google them and find their website as well. God bless you. I was fascinated. I first read it in um, A Song of Ascents. That's his own autobiography. But I also heard about it more from your book and from a different angle. Tell me about this amazing thing, how E. Stanley Jones was engaged with the American political system on the brink of the Japanese conflict or the war, World War II. I mean, this is a fascinating, fascinating story, which I think has been lost in our kind of uh, uh, particularly like in the Wesleyan world to know what East Stanley Jones was doing in this time. Tell me about that. Well, uh, well I have an entire chapter on that uh, from 1941. Okay. Uh, and uh, Stanley, when Stanley was in, in the U.S. all during the war, uh, traveling and preaching constantly. Uh, and Mabel was back in India, so they were separated by the war. And Stanley would go to uh, all, all over uh, the country preaching, but he also uh, went to Washington, D.C. Uh, three or four times a year. Mm-hmm. Because this was during the war. He was a pacifist. And he met, he went to the Japanese embassy. Right. And became close friends with those who were heading up uh, the Japanese embassy, who were not a part of the war party. Realized that Japan had a war party back in Japan where they were looking for war. Right. But these these heads of this American embassy from Japan were not a part of the war party. So he became their friend. And when when they told him that uh, the war party was about to uh, uh, begin a war with the U.S. Right. They sat down and wrote a letter to Hirohito. Uh, because no one was understanding Hirohito. They, and, and that was the emperor or the... The emperor, I'm sorry, the emperor of Japan. Okay, yeah. And he had the power. He could he could wage war. I know Tojo was the, was the, was the war, head of the war party, but uh, Hirohito was the emperor. He could, he could, he had the power to start or end the war. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they, through Eisenhower, not Eisenhower, through FDR, uh, Roosevelt. They went to Roosevelt to draft a letter saying, uh, we understand that you folks are pressed for land, which they were. Mm-hmm. We understand that you've been neglected uh, in uh, CETO, the, 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 the kind of the NATO of the Pacific, which never really got off the ground. But we understand your, your problems. And is there anything we can do uh, to get along. Hmm. And they sent that to Hirohito, signed by Roosevelt. Wow. And it was Stanley Jones drafted the letter. Wow. <laughs> with, the, with the help of his friends. And, and unfortunately, that letter got delayed in the embassy in Tokyo. Wow. And the next day, uh, Pearl Harbor. Wow. And when Stanley Jones... Uh, met these friends later after the war, the, the friends where he wrote the letter. They said to him, Hirohito, when Hirohito received the letter after Pearl Harbor, Hirohito told them that if I had received that letter before Pearl Harbor, 
we would have never invaded the U.S. Oh, my goodness. And it just got hung up. And, of course, it broke Stanley Jones' heart. Wow. But that's what, that's what I mean. He almost single-handedly prevented uh, wow. uh, the Japanese invasion, which is true, according to Hirohito. Uh, most people find that hard to believe, but I'm telling you this from the Japanese perspective. Wow. They're the ones who said what Hirohito said. And wow. when Senator Jones went to Japan and had an audience with Hirohito on several occasions after the war, okay. Hirohito told him the same thing. Wow. If I had received your letter a day before, I would never have invaded Pearl Harbor. That's amazing. The, the, now, there was also like a concern, like, um, in, I'm just, I'm hopeful you can correct me if I have something wrong here, that there was like a overpopulation concern about Japan and its land, and East Stanley Jones was suggesting that you know possibly there could be some sort of deal where Papua, I mean Papua New Guinea could have been a place. Yeah. Is that correct? Right. Like they could have That's sent right. people there, and, and, and MacArthur was agreed agreed with that. Hmm. Uh, he was Stanley Jones was a close friend of MacArthur, uh, yeah. and uh, they talked about that at length. Wow. Uh, and at one point, it almost happened. That, wow. You know. It was owned by Australia, right? And Australia was really open, but after the war, uh, Australia was not nearly so open, and so that never happened. But that was a part of the bargain that they might want to consider uh, giving uh, that part of the world uh, to Japan because uh, Japan was really overcrowded and uh, was really uh, the Japanese people were were abused, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but that never happened. In, in Papua New Guinea, like I remember reading East Stanley Jones saying it had like abundant nat- natural resources and the Japanese spirit. Yeah. People, and people could have come and um, peacefully enter. I mean, of course, who knows how that would have worked and it would, it would have seemed like some form yeah. of colonization. But um, I just think it's fascinating. Like, here's a man who was a, a missionary to India and he, because of his influence and the way that his books took off and um, his, the way he was recognized globally, decided that um, his, his life just couldn't be about preaching. It had to, in fact, in, impact all of life. And therefore, he, that in, in, it was political. And he had to see how the gospel and the claim that Jesus is Lord was a political statement as well to try and produce peace in that situation. I mean, who who, who could imagine? So did, did, was it that that um, got him nominated for a Nobel Prize, that effort? Yes, okay. that's correct, yes. Let me tell you how, how I met Sandy Jones. Yes, that's why I want, I want to hear this, yes. How it changed my life. Uh, after that offering, I went up to him and said, I'll work for nothing. Hmm. If you'll give me 30 minutes alone, I'll book you a day. How many minutes? And, Pardon? How many minutes did you want alone with him? 30 minutes a day. Oh, 30 alone. minutes. Okay, gotcha. Just 30 minutes. He agreed. Wow. And the first day, I had just come back from Europe with a PhD, wire rim glasses, and hair over my ears in <laughs> the middle cities. And uh, a little tiny town, 300 people in, in rural North Carolina, north right. of Albemarle, North Carolina. Okay. And the radio station there offered anyone who wanted uh, 20 minutes free time to speak their piece. Huh. I said, well, see, I'll, I'll take that. So I got on the radio and begged the people of Stanley County, North Carolina, to integrate their churches back in the middle 60s. Wow. 
And when I walked out of the radio station, they were waiting on me. They didn't have their hoods on, but I knew who they were because half of them knew of my church. Wow. Me under an old oak tree and beat the living daylights out of me. Did they really? My head and scar tissue on the inside of my lip. Oh, my goodness. And, And for the next two years, they proceeded. They'd see my car on the road. They would run me off the road, pull me out of the car, and beat on me. When I told Brother Stanley that, you know what he said? What did he say? I hated the, I hated the plan. I had resentment in me that was preventing me from growing spiritually. Wow. Brother, Brother Stanley looked at me and said, Brother Bob, you had about half that coming. Huh. <laughs> and I said, I said, excuse me? He said, Brother Bob, you've had about half that coming. I said, what do you mean? He said, you went in with the answers before you knew what the questions were. Wow. Wow. And that... That that one statement changed my life forever. Hmm. All of that resentment went out of me. Wow. And I had peace for the first time uh, since I had come back uh, to the U.S. to wow. be a pastor. Uh, it's just in that instant. He, I, that first day, he opened 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage. Right. He looked at me and said, Brother Bob, Paul dipped his pen in the blood of his broken heart and set pain to music. Wow. Uh, but it was that heart that enabled him to talk. He, he did. Listen, uh, Stanley Jones, especially in India, didn't talk about Christianity that much because he had become so Western, hmm. especially in the roundtables. I like to talk about the roundtables in a moment. Okay, okay. But he said, and, and Stanley Jones didn't talk about the church that much in India because the church was always disappointing him. Wow. So he, he decided he would talk only about Jesus. Wow. Because Jesus, Jesus never disappointed him. Wow. Jesus was the Word become flesh. Amen. Dwelt among us so that we can know who God is. As a result of what God, Jesus has taught us about his Father, we now know who God is, that yes. God really loves us yes. and makes him available to us. Amen. He's not removed. Yes. You know, our, our Muslim friends have a different word for God. They use, uh, most most Christians prefer the word for God, Yahweh, right. uh, which is Lord, which means a person, you can get, have a personal relationship with Yahweh. Right. But in, like in Psalm, the second book of Psalms, uh, the, word for, the word for God is Elohim, which right. is literally the, hmm. T-H-E, uh, and not very personal, not very approachable. And when Stanley realized that the Aramaic translation of Elohim was was Allah, he realized that perhaps our Muslim friends, and he loved his Muslim friends, mm-hmm. realized that perhaps our Muslim friends need to have a better understanding of Allah, not so much as Elohim, but as Yahweh, mm-hmm. as Lord. Mm-hmm. And he went to the round table, uh, a round table where you had... Uh, this, this was started around 1930 as well Yeah. Uh, in, in India. Uh, he wanted a way to communicate the gospel in a non-threatening way. So he had a round table. No one, there was no head of the table. And he was like, there were usually oh, 50, 60 people around the table. Maybe mm-hmm. not quite that many. Of all different religions. And he would have every person go around and tell everybody else what their religion meant to them. Hmm. How, how the religion had blessed them. And then he would conclude by saying how his religion blessed him. 
and talk about Jesus. Hmm. And, you know, he'd be preaching evangelistic services to thousands in the evenings. Wow. But uh, a lot of the, uh, of the elite of India would come to these roundtables. And as a result of his sharing, his own, and you could not contradict anyone else. Hmm. You could not diss anyone else's religion. Hmm. You had to listen sympathetically. And so, but West, but Calvin, not Wesley Calvin, but, but uh, Stanley Jones, I'm getting too excited here. Yes, right, yeah, yeah. It, well, you're a uh, professor of historical theology, so it's easy to slip into those. <laughs> but uh, but this, and Stanley would share his understanding uh, of, of Jesus. You know, they, no one could ever object to Jesus. They could object to everything Christian. But they never objected to Jesus. Hmm. And Stanley talked about Jesus, and then when he talked in the evening services, these same people came to the evening services. Many of them became Christians, were wow. converted to Jesus. Uh, it sounds like Acts seventeen. <laughs> it sounds like Paul in yeah. Athens. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, Except Stanley was better at it, I think. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Uh, uh, I just read that, by the way, in, uh, in, in the book of Acts. I, I read through the Bible every year, four chapters a day, mark it up, and then give the Bible away at the end of the year. I've given away 45 of those wow. Bibles, uh, marked up Bibles. Well, I, I, uh, I try to push that to um, people get tired of hearing me say it, but I just encourage people to— uh, it's a, you can, it, people can act like it's a little legalistic to read through the Bible in a year or, or they miss too much or going too fast or going too slow, whatever it is. But to me, it's been one of the, the great blessings of my life to just be continually immersed in the story. I tell people, if you, if you read the Bible for 9.4 minutes a day, you'll get through the Bible in a year. And so if you yeah. can just give that much time, if you can do a little bit more, that'd be great. But um, if, if you can't get through it, you'll, you'll probably get close. Now, I'd love to go back to, to so you ended up uh, traveling then with, um, now you call him, I, obviously I didn't get him, Brother Stanley or Stanley, I, I mean, my, I always end up saying E. Stanley Jones, but is that correct? You were like almost like an assistant to him or something like that? No, 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 no not really. Okay. I, I, attended, I attended his ashrams for the rest of that summer. Okay, gotcha. And he lived with his youth, and he gave me 30 minutes alone with him a day. Wow. Uh, but we kept in touch. And uh, he continued to bless me. Well, uh, um, is there any other um, personal stories that you have? I mean, that's a powerful story about how he helped you get beyond the what you felt in your heart towards those members of the KKK. But is there any other uh, anecdotal pieces that you could share with us? Uh, oh, yeah, there are lots of them. <laughs> I'm but, sure. Uh, mainly, just know okay. that his teaching... Uh, was so solid, hmm. so Christ-like, that he made me uh, want to be more like Jesus. Hmm. Uh, and he was the one who directed me to focus on Jesus, to tell my students, Tuttle, little Bob, uh, don't worry about how your, your students vote in the elections. Hmm. Just ask them to vote the mind of Jesus. Wow. That's all you need to do. Ask them to vote the mind of Jesus. And when people vote the mind of Jesus, they usually uh, make the right decisions. Hmm. Well, Jones believed they would always make the right decisions. Yeah. But Stanley Jones was a pacifist. Uh, he was. Uh, he influenced me there. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was so 
into the kingdom of God and was so into the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Right. He, he was one of the ones who helped me understand uh, in his teachings in those sessions, some of those sessions alone with him, uh, that uh, Holy Spirit moves from high pressure to low pressure on the least resistance. You realize Hebrew word for wind is ruah, right. translated in the 70, the, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, but the word pneuma, spirit. So the word spirit translates the word wind. Right. And, but you know, that's no accidental metaphor. Wind moves from high pressure to low pressure, form of least resistance. Floridians, like you and me, we understand high pressure, low pressure, because we get wind moving all over our houses, sometimes 150 miles an hour. Right. But, but, so Stanley Jones helped me understand what creates low pressure. It's repentance and faith. Hmm. Now, let me tell you about repentance, Andy. If, uh, yeah, happen, Andy. let's go for it. Yeah. Repentance. Uh, Repentance is grieving over the separation your sin has caused. Sin is that which, and Stanley Jones helped me with this, sin is that which separates us from God, ourselves, and those around us. And if it doesn't separate you from God, yourself, and those around you, stop worrying about it. I had more sin confessed to me my first five months teaching at Asbury Seminary than I'd had in 25 years teaching in other seminaries. I'm making it up. I look at him and I say, you don't need to make, I, there's enough sin in you, I can tell by looking at you, you need a Savior, but you don't need to go making it up. Repentance uh-huh. is grieve, grieving over the separation of your sin is caused. Right. Separating you from God, yourself, and those around you. And mm. then, with your willingness for God to take it from you. That's the key. You can't give your sin to God. If you could give your sin to God, Stanley Jones helped me with this. You wouldn't need God. Right. But God loves you. Amen. And if you're willing for God to take it from you and put your faith and trust in his son Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit moves from high pressure to low pressure. Swish. Mm-hmm. What creates low pressure in us? Repentance and faith. Mm-hmm. That's the fault. That's, that's why I love to, to serve the sacrament, because all of that, that's a slam dunk. The sacraments are a slam dunk for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in my opinion. Amen. Uh, let me let me get on that interesting thing. As I've read through E. Stanley Jones through the years, now just so you know, and, and nobody in my audience will be surprised, I believe the Salvation Army should move back to reintroduce the sacraments within worship, and I think it's a real problem for us. And I'm writing on the subject at, at this very moment. Um, so just so you know, my own personal sense on that, and there's a historical reasons and theological reasons. But I was surprised to find that E. Stanley Jones, at a variety, of, I don't know if you've seen this, variety of times actually was supportive of the Salvation Army's stance on the sacraments because he had felt like that people had invested too much in the in the sacraments themselves and um yeah. and so he he was like kind of pushing towards the matter of the heart now and of course there's nothing wrong with that but at, at times uh the Salvation Army uh, salvationists have begun begun to think, oh well, we we don't we're not in need of any physical peace. It's just the spiritual that matters, and that can almost move to a form of docetism, in in my view, and, and gnosticism. So, like, I worry about that for the army. But if I was surprised occasionally to find E. Stanley Jones talking positively about the Salvation Army's non-sacramental practice. Have you seen that? I have, and you know, and I went, even while I was saying that, I was regretting having said it, but. You know, Stanley Jones worked for the Salvationists. Tell me about uh, that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not familiar with that. They put him to work in uh, India, or uh, or where? In India. In okay. In India. Uh, they, he he uh, he wanted to have an influence beyond uh, Methodism. 
hmm. United Methodist, or Methodist. And so uh, the Salvationists uh, would, would find him venues for preaching. Hmm. And he did that for many years. Wow. Salvation Army had a great influence uh, on Stanley Jones, and he had a great influence on them. Now, do you feel like that... Aren't you proud of Stanley for not getting hung up on that which would divide them? Yeah. And giving them permission to, you know, the sacraments have been abused. It it became, uh, you know, as you you were saying, a bit Gnostic. Uh, But uh, even though he was committed to the sacrament and served it frequently, of course, Jimmy Wesley served it daily. Right. Uh, Anyway... Do you think, uh, uh, and, and, and just because he probably didn't want to be somebody who would be div- divisive, um, I you don't sense, like, you don't hear him quoting or read him quoting a lot of Wesley um, or trying to say, I'm a part of the Wesleyan holiness movement. Um, obviously, like, anybody who's a, been a part of that world, um, like you and I have, will see those themes as right. But he doesn't use the same buzzwords that kind of lock him into a certain movement. Um, and I, I, my guess is that that's because he wanted to have as wide of an impact as possible. That's correct. Emphasize that's Jesus. Yes. It's, it's so interesting to me the way that God led his life um, to be in a position where he just proclaim this good news of the kingdom of God on a regular basis. That led him to um, um, be nominated, or I'm not even sure if he was voted in, to be a bishop in the Methodist Church in the United States, but he turned that down. Tell us a little bit about that. Actually, he turned it down twice. He was voted in. Oh, okay, gotcha. And, and the first time he was voted in, he accepted it uh, hmm. for 24 hours. Wow. Slept on it, he was called to be a missionary evangelist, and the next day went back to the general conference and resigned as bishop. Hmm. And then later he was elected bishop uh, in India. Okay. And turned it then turned it down. He just felt like he was called to be a missionary evangelist, and uh, uh, I cannot tell you uh, how 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 hard. Stanley Jones worked at being at the mind of Jesus, having the mind of Jesus. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned that he was, he, he told me once uh, when he was 83 years old, I think, that he was still tempted by the urges hmm. that you mentioned earlier. Yes. Uh, God, uh, sex and the herd. Wow. Uh, and I almost fainted when he told me that. He said, <laughs> I said, you mean? You still struggle with the urges? I, he, he said, yes. I said, I'm 28 years old. I thought I was to get, about, about to get beyond that. You're telling me I'm going to struggle with that for another 50-plus years? <laughs> he said, yeah, you will. <laughs> wow. It is amazing. I, I was um, occasionally I've been able to find a few recordings and just enjoy hearing his voice. Um, probably a last question here. Where would you recommend, what would you recommend people read if they're wanting to get into East Stanley Jones? Where, where, where would you start? I'd start uh, with the Song of Ascents. Okay. The spiritual autobiography, no question there. Okay. Song of Ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S, which is, you know, from the Psalms. Right, right. Well, uh, I know I've taken a lot of your time here, and um, if uh, other people, if they can can find your book, it's called In Our Time on... um, In Our Time. The Life and Ministry of East Andy Jones. 
It's, it's published. It's published by the East Andy Jones Foundation, and I gave them the manuscript. Hmm. So all the royalties on this book go to the East Andy Jones Foundation. Oh, wonderful! And you can find that on Amazon or other places. I know you've you've written other things. Um, the story of evangelism. I think believe I think there was a period your book on Wesley, which has this really interesting thing where at the beginning of the chapters, I love how you um will speak in the first person. That's kind of a unique thing about from Wesley's perspective. Uh, some somewhere along the way, the army. Um, if you go to if a if Salvation Army has a library in a local core, they probably have that book. It's had a it's it's been influential within the army. So I just wanted you to know that. Like, uh, so I I've known your name through the years, and um, obviously, um, yeah. Go. Ahead. So I just appreciate your ministry and taking the time to use your discipline as a historical theologian to write this book and to let it bless the world so people can hear not just about East Stanley Jones but about Jesus and the way that Jesus continues to transform our world. So thank you so much for your time, Dr. Tuttle. Thank you, Captain Miller, and all you salvationists, God bless you. May your tribe increase. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Captain's Corner. If you'd like to learn more about us, please feel free to check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time.